And we're off. <laughs> wow. Here we're we hoping, are. We're hoping you can hear us better today. That's right. We've upgraded. We've we're upgraded. moving up in the world. We've got new mics. New mics and then eventually a new camera. It's, it's all, all the good stuff around here. All the good stuff. Father Brian's coming off uh, celebratory. I mean, you got some cool stuff. The kids celebrated you well. 10 year anniversary. 10 years of priesthood. That's right. Yeah. They, uh, I feel like they, they did you proper. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. That's yeah, so awesome. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to think that I've been a priest 10 years. And so grateful to God, grateful to my uh, family and my community and all the folks here at Our Lady of Lords who have been so generous to me. This church has been such a blessing. So yeah, you're really, welcome, man. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you, Patrick, <laughs> you and Steph. Yeah. My whole two minutes. No, that's awesome. It's so exciting. It was fun to be be able to kind of um, share time with people that have been around you for that long. You know, even like hanging with your brother and yeah, um, just hearing some of the stories of back, even from, it's just weird to think when you were actually a seminarian and now we got like right. Father Sean coming, that's going to be just fresh out of the seminary. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's kind of a big deal. It is. And it's crazy. The, the weird thing about being a priest is you, so I had my 10 year anniversary, but I was in seminary for seven years I before know. that. And so people are like, oh, 10 years, that's a big deal. Well, all of my friends have been married like 15, 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it kind of be like a doctor. Like if you're like a surgeon, and like I've been, a, you know, technically a surgeon for 10 years. Like, yeah, but I also did seven years of schooling. Yeah. It's a long time. So you've been in it. Been in it. Hopefully right. many more years to come. Here's a question for you. Natural segue. Ten, celebrating 10 years. Father Altman. Yes, Father Alton. Getting, we go way back. Getting removed. Yeah, no I, don't, I don't know much about the story. I saw it pop up and I just wanted to pick your brain on it. Yeah. Um, and I, the little that I did read, it sounds like there's a lot. Obviously, the headline is like he made his comments about COVID. And there, you know, that's like the main headline. And priest gets removed. Priest out of Wisconsin mm -hmm. uh, was asked to step down. And then, um, but as you kind of read into it, more and more, it's kind of like the archdiocese out there was saying like, yeah, we've, we've actually issued several warnings, like to based on things he has like said and done and whatnot. But I don't, what do you know about that whole? Not too much. He, be, he went viral <clears throat> during uh, COVID and during, he went after Democrats. And so he had that, he put out this video and a lot of people that you and I are friends with loved it. Steph. <laughs> no yeah. not Steph just kidding uh well I think they loved it because one of the one of the virtues that seems to be lacking sometimes in the church and certainly I feel like I am lacking in it sometimes is the virtue of courage yeah and just to call a spade a spade yeah and so I, I think people who are faithful Catholics they just hunger for someone who will just be honest yep you know and, and so he he came out and he he had a video where he just went after Democrats hardcore. And so he had that, my favorite line, what I thought was hilarious. He said, he said, do you know how many Catholics voted for a Democrat in the last election? Zero. He said, because you can't be a good Catholic and, and vote, vote for Democrat. a Democrat. And, and honestly, I mean, so I, I'll just be honest. I don't love the way father Altman has presented himself in public. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I agree with him about that. I think 
you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who, and what they, from a more liberal Democrat kind of political perspective, people want to say abortion's not the only issue. And so they say, look, we've got abortion in this country. There are other issues. People on the right need to care about immigration and, uh, you know, healthcare and whatever else. And abortion is not the only issue, but I actually think, I think we did a podcast on this at some point that yeah, Democrats largely, I would argue, and I don't, by the way, I'm not a Republican. I don't, I have issues with Republicans, but I would say Democrats have, it's a better way to speak about it is worldviews. Mm-hmm. And I think Democrats have embraced a uh, postmodern worldview. And my, my issue isn't like with the party so much, it's with their worldview. And their their worldview is not just one issue. It's not just abortion. So anyway, I don't want to drag it out too far, but Father Altman, did you see the video? I haven't. I I don't think I have. Was it it from the pulpit or was it like- No, it was like a produced video. He was being interviewed. There was like, and part of the issue I had with the video was it seemed self-aggrandizing to me Mm. as he got more and more intense and like talking about how- there will be people who will love God in our country and who will stand up for what's right. And, and going after people on the left, like, like grandiose kind of building music is playing in the background. Nice. He's ramping up. And it, it just felt a little like self-serving, a little mm-hmm. self-aggrandizing. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think, I think people though, Orthodox Catholics, sometimes there is a point where you get tired of nuances. Yeah. And so I, I remember we had a professor in seminary, great professor, brilliant man. But the big joke with him was you could never get an, an answer at the end of the day. There was never an answer. <laughs> totally it was PC. always, it was like, well, if you look at it from this way, and if you, if you, if you have this nuance and that nuance, and I think people who are good Catholics, sometimes they just want to hear a bishop say, you can't be pro-abortion. Right. And if you do, don't come to communion. And that's a big, you know, that's a big issue right now. Oh yeah. And I'm, I will say I am proud of Archbishop Aquila for coming out and saying something about that. Um, he actually, as we're, um, I think he's coming out with a stance today when we're recording on uh, the whole Germany debacle. How did you know that? <laughs> I knew that. How did you know that? You've got ties. I've got insiders, uh, which I'm excited to read. Yeah. I, uh, I think it'll be interesting to kind of just see. I, I agree. I think people like black and white. And especially when it comes to something that you're so passionate about and you live, try to live yeah. day in and day out with life. I, some of the stuff just reading again, I, I barely, I think I sent you that article this morning. Just be like, should we talk about this? Right. Um, but. Which I didn't read. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I sent that and they just had set like several, you know, he's coming out saying that it's cancel culture that has, he, he came out saying uh, when the lab, when the liberals, speak out loudly enough you anyone can get canceled now and yeah. he's that and he's has a whole lawsuit and there's a big following people are fundraising for him and trying to like help him with attorney fees to fight it and he's yeah, like going after the archdiocese yeah because yeah. his bishop had him resign as pastor that's correct. right yeah yeah it's a tough thing <clears throat> i think um there's a lot of nuances here but i will say i think people on the right we do need men and priests and bishops to be courageous. Yeah. You know, when, when bishops come out, I think we talked about this before, but when bishops come out and they say, Hey, if you're pro-abortion, you can come to communion, no problem. I'm like, I just think that's dishonest. Right. 
Right. We could talk about other things maybe that we should be clear about as well. But people have been saying, well, that makes the Eucharist political. And what I always want to say to people is first Corinthians 11. Let's read that line really quick. Um, so in first Corinthians 11, St. Paul says this, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So if you, if you eat or drink of the Eucharist unworthily, you profane the body and blood of Christ. Mm. So if, if it's, if it's political to tell a pro abortion, a pro murder politician, they shouldn't partake of the Eucharist. Then Paul was political. And by the way, he was right. So was Jesus. Yeah. But it wasn't about this party or that party. It was about our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And so we should be as, and we all know this, don't we? I didn't have to say this. We should all know this as Catholics. We should go after both parties when they don't align with the truth. That's right. We should, and, and, and abortion is just a clear issue. Immigration, I think, I think Republicans can do better on immigration, but I also think it's a little more complex. It's a little yeah. bit more complex of an issue because the issue isn't simply, do we love poor people and migrants, which we are commanded to by God, by the way, absolutely commanded to. And I, and I think Republicans and a lot of people can do a better job of that. But on the left, I the, the way I hear this at least is people who are Democrats tend to say, if you don't want the government just to let people in wholesale and throw money at them, then you don't love the poor. Right. And I'm like, grow up, yeah. be a little bit more intelligent. Good people could, can love the poor and disagree about what the best way is to serve the poor. That's right. We can disagree about that. And good Catholics can disagree about that. What we cannot disagree about is that we have to love the poor. I found it interesting too. <clears throat> Something you said in there um, was his argument against the vaccine. And then he kind of references um, your body's a temple and you're basically injecting your body with this vaccine that is like really bad for your body as a temple scenario. And I feel it's like category mistake. So I, I feel like I hear that a lot with uh, like tattoos. Yeah. You know, that's like a really bad argument. People throw that out there. Like you, you know, they, they'll take a certain, passage this goes back i think we talked about it last week of like understanding romans oh no i said it at the coffee that's what it was when you're like you have to understand the context of what why it's what is being said and why it's being used yeah. and, and not just kind of like turn it in that way um yep because otherwise that can be a dangerous path yep we have to be there's one of my you know one of my favorite uh one-liners is there's no shortcut to maturity right and we, people, we've got to have more mature Catholics. That's right. Who don't use one-liners. One, you know, one I've been thinking about a lot lately uh, is, you know, people are always going after Balthazar. Yeah. About the hell thing. And actually, I do want to give a shout out to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. That's I right. don't usually listen to their podcast, which I get endless grief about. <laughs> but they did, they did a podcast called What Should Balthazar Hope For? Oh. And it was about that topic. And I thought it was really well done. And they pointed out, Father John speaks German. He had to learn German for his doctorate. But the German, the, when Balthazar wrote his, fame, his controversial book is Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved. But he pointed out that the German original, when Balthazar wrote it, that's not the title. That when, when the editors and the publishers, when they brought that into English, they, they changed the title. No way. And that's part of the misunderstanding. 
And so the, the actual German title says, what ought we to hope for? Wow. Wow. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a big deal. And, yeah. But anyway, I mean, one passage where people, I feel like they rip things out of context isn't that one frequently. And so they, they quote the passage where Jesus says, um, uh, they'll talk about, uh, the wide is the way that leads to destruction and many are those who follow it, but narrow is the way that leads to life right. and few are those who enter by the narrow gate. And you know, that, that can be related, but it's imprecise. People just throw this out. That's a Jewish way that's used all through the scriptures that doesn't necessarily mean heaven or hell. So Psalm one is all, all about this. And the two ways at the end of the book of Deuteronomy are all about, there's two ways and it's not necessarily about eternal life or eternal damnation. Now, I think we could have a conversation and say, when Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, does that mean, is this about heaven? And I'd be willing to have that discussion. And I think you could make that argument, but there's a lot of people who just drop one liners. And I think at the end of the day, it's lack of maturity on both sides. We've got to be willing to say, Hey, you know what? I don't know everything. Totally. And Balthazar didn't know everything. He never would said he, he did. Uh, but I think, and back to father Altman, this is what's hard for me is that it's too easy. It's too easy. He's just like, Hey, if you're on this side of things, you're from hell. You're not a Catholic. Right. And we, we started our podcast and I felt like this is a theme we used early on a lot. I, people who tend to the left politically in our country, I tend to disagree with them about just about everything. <laughs> and, and I think that's not because of politics. I think it's because of worldview. Right. Worldview is the basic assumptions you have about the world and about life. Um, and I think they have a different worldview than I do. But I still think what we should do at baseline Catholic principle should be that we should look for the good in other people. Totally. And when you're, when you're ready and courage is one thing, we need courage. We need men, especially bishops and priests, but we need women out there. We need all kinds of people who stand up for things that matter, but not in a reckless way. And I thought Father Altman was reckless. Interesting. He just threw, he just said, if you're, if you're this, you're a horrible person. Right. And I'm like, I know there's a time to stand up, but it just, for me, it it was, it was reckless. And I could, it's just reckless. And I, I think that leads to it becomes dangerous. And then not only that, like as you're reading some of these headlines, um, it's like, as I went through the article, then it kind of ended because it was very much like a left-leaning publication that was like, and this is totally contradictory to anything coming out of Rome. Who's, you know, and the Pope re- received his vaccine in January or whatever it was. And like, is totally yeah. trying to spin it back that way. Yeah. And again, it's just getting caught in this world where people are going to want to have it just so black and white. And don't want to dive into like, why it's just tell me yeah. what to do. And, and just, I'll just be a sheep and just follow it. Um, but when I was kind of reading some of those, the quotes that were in there, I was like, oh man, that's, that's a, that's a steep hill. That's, yeah. that's heavy. And I just do want to call out for that. I think, um, <clears throat> there's no shortcut to maturity, but you, we've got to be mature. Yeah. And if you, if you can't, if the person you're discussing with, there is a time, there are people, you know, there are people who at a certain point I have to say, okay, like I'm wiping the dust from my feet. I'm shaking the dust from my yeah. feet. There is a time, there is a time for that. Um, but I think that should be pretty rare. Right. I think most of the time we need to find the good in the other. No one, 
is purely evil. People, even when they're totally wrong about a subject, they're usually seeing something good. I always say this, I've said it on the podcast. People who are pro abortion are totally wrong, but they actually are looking for something good. Right. They usually think they're out to help young women who are in very difficult situations. Yep. And at least some of them. There's probably, there probably are some who are a little bit darker than that who are sure, who just think, you know, we don't have souls and we're just beings that should be able to have pleasure whenever we want. And, you know, that to me is a little tougher, but anyway, I think, I think it's a good principle of assume the best. When you see someone assume the best, find the good in them and then have real discussion and stand up for the things you need to stand up for. But you don't have to tell everyone they're going to hell. That's right. And I was listening to uh, Ben Shapiro came out with the podcast on like the whole transgender topic, which hopefully someday we'll dive into too. But um, I, I mean, his, his, what's that? I thought we did. Did sort we of we did well sort of but i still eventually want to circle back on the okay. athletics and kind of all that Caitlin stuff Jenner, yeah. man it's yeah <laughs> totally yeah. uh but i mean I, and you've said it before too but we are just never in a place where we can just agree to disagree like we yeah. we're afraid to have the conversations that lead to like okay at this point like you're in your way i'm in my like and that's fine and we can be friends and whatnot yeah but instead it's like the minute you throw out something it's like game over at that point. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think of like, there's wiggle room in life and all kinds of things. And in the faith, there's wiggle room on certain issues, Yeah, but there are ground, there are, there are non-negotiables. Right. The problem in the church, I think right now is that people disagree about what are the non-negotiables. So when you play football, right. <clears throat> if you, um, if you're coming off the, the line of scrimmage, yeah. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. If you're coming off the line of scrimmage, and like everybody knows, like there's there's going to be contact between like a defensive end, or let's or let's say a corner and a wide receiver. That's right. Right. There, there's going to be some hitting, but there's a certain point where it becomes holding, like defensive holding, yeah. or five yards. Yeah. Is anything, that what it is? Anything past five yards See, now is holding. I knew that. Yeah. I knew yeah. It was five yards. <laughs> yeah. But but I think in the church right now, the question is, who gets to decide what the non-negotiables are? That's right. And that's a, it's a. I don't think it really is unclear in church teaching. But I think because of the voices right now out there saying like, oh, like, like Father James Martin, I'm a huge critic of yeah. Father James Martin has made it seem like the church's teaching on homosexuality is up for debate. It's really not. I know I agree with Father James Martin that we need to do a lot better about treating people with same sex attraction with a much greater amount of love and compassion. Totally. And, and I think if you don't see that, you need to, you need to actually pray about that and you need to do a real heart to heart with Jesus because, uh, the, I think that we have been vilified be partially because we have not treated them well. But Father James Martin makes it seem like the teaching is wrong. Yeah. And that's not true. Like you can't, you just can't do that. So if, I could talk okay. about that forever. Uh, well, and now I have a and question. And you with want that. me to talk about that. <laughs> you were such we a totally had a different topic too. I know. Uh, but, but uh, something I would just have to say on that though, like when you say that we've done such a bad job of that over, yep. Like put a time frame on that for me. Like, where do you, starting when do you think it really kind of went off the deep end? I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I have a time frame. I just think, um, I think people get, it's, it's very similar to all these discussions when you're in a polemical discussion. And I think in some ways the Catholic reaction, of course it goes back further than this, but when the pro gay movement in our time picked up steam. Yeah. 
people want to stand up for something that is true, but they get, they get scared. Yeah. And so that what they do is they just, they feel like they have to be strong, but they end up saying things that, you know, are not said the best way. Um, and I, I think that's, that's where my focus is. At least I'm sure it goes back before that. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a truth that gay people have been treated poorly in history, but here's where I like Jordan Peterson on this topic. Jordan Peterson's like everyone in all of history has been treated poorly. Right. Like history, like you, when you study history, it's kind of like people who, people who bemoan the period of the church's history we're in right now. They're like, Oh my gosh, look how bad the church is. I'm like, go study church history. Yeah. It's always been messy from day right. one. It has been messy. Right. And that's part of human life. And people in the secular culture who say, Oh, religion's so ugly. It's full of hatred and vilification and bigotry and et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, go study secular history. Go study it. Yeah. And you will learn what we call in Christianity, the dogma of original sin. That was kind of my question. This may just be, I just find it interesting when you, if you look at the last 50, 60 years and saying that as the gay movement started to kind of, you know, take on a lot of steam yeah, and then the church, you, you kind of always hear that, like the church did a really bad job with it and whatnot. Sure. But I think there is a human element. Yep. Exactly what you're saying right here of like, you look at any history, secular yeah. Catholicism, any of that kind of stuff. It's always been ugly, but I think, and what we've seen that has played out with the scandals and a lot of those, you know, it's, there was a, a larger demographic of priests that were homosexual it certainly seems like that is the case. Yes. Let's just say ballpark. Like if that's like a, a thing, a human reaction is to totally come out swinging the other way. Like yeah. in that self denial, like no yeah. way, but then behind closed doors, it's a different story. So I think it's a very convoluted, messy scenario over the last yeah. like 50, 60, hundred years, whatever it is. Um, I saw somebody on social media today, a buddy of mine used to be a buddy of mine. He kind of went off the deep end with his worldviews. I'm um, right here. And yeah. I'm right here. Patrick. That post you had this morning was yeah. really messed up. No, he has like a social media following. And I don't, I, sometimes I just kind of like click through. And he, apparently he had made reference to why he doesn't believe in God. And then somebody had a follow-up question, like, what was the book you referenced? And he posted this book about why he doesn't believe in God. And it was like, Constantine's uh, something. It was like something really nasty about like the church sure. history mm -hmm. or church's history or whatever it is. <clears throat> yep. And I'm like, yeah, but, and, and I've heard that too of like people I get when, especially when I became Catholic, there was pushback to me becoming Catholic literally because of what happened at the Spanish inquisition and right. other things throughout history that I'm like, dude, first of all, I, maybe was present in fourth grade when we went over that. I yeah. have no idea what you're even talking about. And you're nitpicking on something that humans are flawed, but it does not negate God, right? right. Like you, the teacher could be really bad, but the material is still true. Yeah. And it becomes really like petty when that becomes your like, Oh, I'm not going to believe based on anything. And in logic or rhetoric, we call this a straw man. Right. And so okay. a straw man yeah. is where you, you don't actually take your opponent's argument seriously. You set up a caricature or it could also be a, an ad hominem yep. ad hominem means an attack against the person. So if you say, Hey, father Brian, um, 
I don't know. You say you should get fit. And I've, I, I think the way that you're going to get fit is if you stop eating gelato, which I had some last night, it was amazing. Oh, was it good? Nice. Yeah. With uh, the uh, carpenters and the whites, great families. But anyway, beautiful. They, you, and you say, hey, FB, if you want to lose that uh, priest bod of yours, a little less gelato might help. And I come back and I say, yeah, well, you know what? You were a jerk last week. And so therefore, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. That's right. That's not homonym. I'm just, I'm not actually engaging your argument. And so that's what happens a lot of times in the, in the secular world is people say, the reason why the church believes what it believes, there's profound reasons, but oftentimes people say, yeah, but your bishops are hypocrites and they're child abusers. That's right. So therefore, and that's, and that might be true, you know, like, and I might be like, Hey, but you're a jerk, which you are. Right. <laughs> and, but, but that has nothing to do with the argument and it doesn't take us anywhere. That's right. I'm still right. You might, you are still right. I, <laughs> you are still right about many, many things. That's right. You're right about, about many everything. Things. Yeah. So I don't know how we got where we're at right now. I don't either. It gives me a, now it's, this is just funny. Uh, shout out to Mark Haas. Yes. He texted me last night saying he was listening to a podcast, one of our previous ones. And he was like, I was so into it. And then all of a sudden you guys went off on a total side note of a tangent of a baby bump bicycle ride. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> baby bump. And I was like, yeah, he was like squirrel. And I was like, nice. Yes. That's us. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. Well, should we talk about Haley's other questions? That's she right. Us? I think we should dive into that. Especially, I mean, it's definitely something that I get asked a lot. Um, well, first, do you want to announce the question of the day? So Haley, we did a series here on Mary because of her. And she tossed in one more question there. Yeah. Excuse me. And it was basically saying, why would we baptize babies? Yeah. And this is a very common question. Why, why baptize a child? And there's a great, great answer to this. There's a number of good answers. But it, it seems, and maybe to, to try to explain a little bit of the Protestant question and critique about this, the, uh, the Protestant critique, I think, is what it means to be a Christian from their perspective is to make a decision to follow Christ. Yeah. Right? Um, it's to it's have faith. It's to make that decision to say, okay, Jesus, I, tr I do believe in you. I'm going to give you my heart to you. And so I'm deciding to follow you. And so a child, an infant especially, right, cannot make that decision. Right. And so, so from a Protestant's perspective, being, a, being baptized, they don't quite know what to do. I think this is one of the issues a lot of Protestants don't quite know what to do with because the New Testament very clearly teaches that you have to be baptized. Yeah. So in Mark 16, Jesus ties faith and baptism together. So the very last uh, kind of passage in Mark's gospel at the Ascension, um, well, just before that, actually, it says uh, in verse 15, Jesus says to the apostles, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And if you're, <clears throat> this is about another question about worldview. But if you come to Christianity with a Protestant worldview, faith is the only thing that saves you. Yeah. And so what you end up doing is you prioritize passages like Romans 10, 9 about, you know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, then you will be saved. You, you give that priority over a passage like Mark 16, 15. Um, or in 1 Peter, there's a passage where St. Peter is talking about 
baptism. Second uh, uh, Peter. No, first Peter. Um, he says, he's, t- he's comparing baptism to Noah's Ark. Okay. And so, and to the flood. Uh, but he says, um, God's patient, God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience. So first Peter two just says baptism saves you. And so what happens is if you come from a Protestant background, what matters, you have to prioritize faith over these passages. And that's, I think that's just straight up what's happening. And so as a Catholic, we don't think that we think that these things go together. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I think I've one, I felt it, I've lived it. And then I've heard a lot of these questions, right? So I was baptized as a baby and obviously I have no recollection. None. Yeah. I think I have one photo of the baptism. Um, and then I lived my life, which I've very much talked about. And then um, in 2017, shout out Steve Van Deest and Brian uh, Cabral and RJ Brown and a couple of buddies of mine. Uh, Kate was there. We, uh, I, I chose to become a, like truly chose in my heart. I was like, I'm going to start living a different lifestyle, yeah. become a Christian. So Steve showed up with his waiters. We went to Boulder Creek. Cause I found it symbolic that I'd be back in Boulder. One of my favorite spots in the world by the yeah. Creek, by the stadium. We just beneath the stadium. Like, just beneath. Yeah. yeah. Right on that, the Boulder path. Yeah. And, uh, Steve gets in, he's breaking ice. It was literally like January 2nd. Wow. And, and he's breaking ice. I'm in board shorts and you know, he, I basically kind of like get baptized again. Like I, I, in, right. a, in my sense, you know, I'm like, I'm right. coming to Christ. I want to make the decision. They dunk me in the freezing cold water and I, boom, I beeline it out of there and I'm like hyperventilating for about an hour. But in my heart, I was like, dude, this is really, this means a lot. Yeah. It's a, I've, I've lived a very, you know, ups and downs and, and coming out of a lot of heartbreak at that point. And it, it really just like, I was like, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. That was so cool. And then coming into the church, um, all of a sudden I was, I kind of found like I was almost disappointed when it was like, Oh no, you've been baptized as a baby. You're going to be confirmed. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, what do I, no, I want? I want to be baptized again. Like I want to be baptized in a Catholic church. Right, like I'm totally. like, keep, keep dunking me over here. Throw all the water on me. And let's, let's build up the Protestant position a bit. Cause I think what you're touching on there is so important. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think one of the, the questions or the statements behind the statement or the question behind the question is the real enemy there. And they're, they're right about this is that being a Christian is not uh, just having like a Elks club card in your right, wallet. Right. And and I think sometimes a lot of Christians, they got baptized and being a Christian is not, it's not like, Hey, I got in, I'm a member. That's it. Right. What they're trying to emphasize and rightly so is that we need to emphasize this more is what you talk about right there where you say, Hey, I've been through a lot of stuff in life. But now I'm, this is a break. Yeah. And the New Testament will present it that way. The New Paul and his treatment of baptism in various places will talk about how now that you've been baptized, that part of you that was so broken and lived a worldly life, it's over. Yeah. And you have to choose in your heart 
now that you've been baptized, you, you need to choose to live a different life, to live a new life, the life of the resurrection. Totally. And so we need to do that. Um, so we got a short podcast today, so we got to wrap this up quickly. But the, um, so Haley, the one thing, so, but, so why would we baptize an infant? And there's a couple of reasons. So the, the baseline argument, the first thing to notice just as a point of data is that when Jesus commands the apostles to baptize the whole world, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Uh, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. So that's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, the last thing he ever says is go baptize everyone. He does not say go baptize adults. Right. He does not say go baptize those who are ready. He says go baptize the whole world. In Acts of the Apostles, whenever an adult comes to faith, they're baptized. And it's really interesting. It's not just their faith. Paul and Peter, <clears throat> if someone confesses faith in Jesus, they'll say, okay, good. Go get baptized now. Um, and what happens is oftentimes their entire household is baptized. Wow. So the head of the household becomes a Christian and everyone in their household is baptized. It does not say everyone who was of age. It doesn't say that. 16 and up. Everyone yeah. is baptized. Okay. But here's the reason behind it. Being baptized. Oh, we could spend so much time on this, but we can't. Uh, being baptized is, be, is becoming a part of a family. So two quick arguments I'm going to make, and then I'll throw it back to you. First one comes from Pope Benedict. <clears throat> and Pope Benedict says, no one objects to a child being baptized, or let me say it this way. No one objects to a child being given a gift, but people would object if he was being signed up for an obligation. So if you committed Gianna mm -hmm. when she's an infant to becoming a lawyer, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, totally. there would be a legitimate objection of saying, even if you think being a lawyer is a great thing, she has to choose that. That's a, that's a huge obligation. That's right. all these kinds of things. But if I came to you as a wealthy priest, which I am oh, totally. And I said, Hey, I want to give Gianna a million dollars the day of her birth. No one would object to that. I for sure would not object to that. Yeah, For sure. Right. <laughs> Cause you can, and what Benedict says is you can give a child a gift, but you don't want to pose an undue obligation on a child. And he says, one of the things behind this question is that we perceive our faith as an obligation instead of a gift. Interesting. Because no one wow. objects to a child being given a gift. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this in Colossians. And this is, this is the argument where I'm just like, you just can't argue against this. Yep. Um, so in Colossians chapter two, what happens uh, to, in, uh, let me find the passage really quick. It says, so, <clears throat> Verse nine, Colossians two nine, it says, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, meaning Jesus. So he is God. And you have come to the fullness of life in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of the dead. So here's the thing. Paul in Colossians 2 says that baptism is the circumcision of Christ. When are you circumcised? As a baby. Which day? Hopefully. 
It's eighth the, day. It's the eighth day. I think that came up in a different podcast. It did. You're circumcised on the eighth day. And why are you circumcised? Is it obviously only male children? Why are, why are they circumcised? So like today or back? Back in then. The, in the old law. Today it's a lot, usually because of like just medical things. Yeah. I was, uh, Unless you're practicing Jew. I don't know. So it's the sign of the covenant. And we could go okay. into Abraham and how that happens. Right. Yeah. But, but basically, so the sign that you enter the covenant in the old covenant is circumcision. Paul says the entrance into the covenant in the new Testament and the new covenant is baptism. Guess who, guess when you're brought in as an infant. So baptism is not about my adult choice. Now that's massively important. Baptism is about being brought into the family. And think about if we did this, if we did this in other ways, if we said, you know, being a part of the Devaney family is this really adult decision where you're going to decide to love mom and dad to live a certain way. So we're not going to let you make that decision until you're 13. Totally. No, like it's a gift. Yeah. And there's a reason why baptism is given to infants is because they are part of the family. And what we can do a better job of as Catholics is saying, Hey, by the way, that doesn't mean you're absolved from the responsibility of making a choice to give your life to Jesus. That still massively matters, but it's not the point of entrance to the covenant. Interesting. It kind of reminds me of a previous one we did where it was like the examinations, like every day you're making that decision. And, and every action you do and how you're living the, your life to walk with God. Yeah. So the symbolic, like it is, it, and, and now kind of looking back, I'm like, okay, that's great. It, it sure had significance. It was meaningful, all the above, but that was more cute than necessary. Yeah. Doing it that way. And, uh, I think now it's kind of interesting <laughs> as, as I, you know, Steph and I kind of talk about it all the time with Gianna, we're like, gosh, is there like a, a right way to get her baptized? Is it like two weeks after she's born? Is it like, right. does Father Brian need to be present during? Like not going to be that. Not going to happen. No. I want you in the corner. No, uh, no but like you then it's kind of like the cath the classic Catholic thing. Ca- classic. Catholic. Yes. Catholic I know what you thing. Mean. Where you're like, oh, okay, lukewarm. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, now it needs to be done at five o'clock, three weeks after she's born. Right. You know, like trying to live that extreme. Um, But I think you would also mention something um, just real quick. When I was going through RCIA, that also the act of, you know, the gift of baptism as a baby also did lead me to where, like, when I came to faith later on. Yep. I walked a certain way in life, despite the dumb things I did. Yep. That was There's a part graces of my journey. That, were given that to was you. graces. That's right. So we got to wrap this up. We're out of time, but I would encourage you if that's, that's the other question between Catholics and Protestants is does baptism actually do something? If you're a Protestant, you're basically going to be committed to the idea that baptism is just a symbol, right? What really does something is faith. That's, that's the only thing that really does something. I would challenge you to read Romans six, where Paul says that when you're baptized, you die with Christ on the cross mm. and you're given the new life. So Catholics believe something actually happens at baptism. Yeah. Not just symbolic. Um, wow. So we got to okay. go. Yep. We a little shortened today. Uh, send us an email gr- or grant rant at lordsdenver.org. <laughs> Grateful for you guys. And we'll catch you next time. Email us your questions. Peace.